folks join the kink scene and they're so hungry and thirsty to try things that they say, I have no boundaries, I have no limits. And I'm like, hold on, Master P, you gotta have limits. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Jessie Sage, and you can find me on Twitter at sapiotextual and at jessiesage.com. And I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. Just a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating and review because it really helps us to grow as a podcast and better share information from our guests to the sex work community as a whole. Last but not least, if you want to support the podcast, please go to anchor.fm forward slash horizon, spelled W-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N, to become a premium subscriber of On the Horizon, which unlocks two bonus episodes on the 8th and 22nd of each month with tons of extra exclusive footage from ourselves and our guests. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It is free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language, to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel encouraged and supported instead of policed. All right, we're back. Season two. Welcome. (laughs) We're really, really excited about this season. Um, It's a near and dear to our heart one, actually. Yeah, yeah. So we decided, um, you know, last season we had mostly sex workers on, but uh, also some journalists and writers and lawyers to talk about issues related to sex work. Um, This time we decided to make sex workers like the center and the experts of our experience. So, you know, it's often said that like sex worker, what you should do is ask a sex worker because sex workers are experts at their own experience. And we're trying to claim that sex workers are not just experts at their own experience, but they're experts at other things as well. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So to get right into it, uh, this first episode's all around the concept of consent, because obviously sex workers Mm -hmm. themselves are pretty fluent in the consent conversation. Yeah. Uh, we talked to uh, Pucks of Plenty. We talked to Susie Q. And they yeah. had a lot of really interesting facets of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, from di- coming from different places. So uh, Mac Pucks of Plenty talked a lot about negotiating consent, like in terms of being a queer, poly, um, person in BDSM and kink mm-hmm. and talking to their kids about that and um negotiating consent with their partners and in DS dynamics. So that was all super interesting. Um, And then when we brought on Susie Q, not only did they, she discussed like this dynamic of consent within like porn and adult and on a set and all of that, but also in terms of her writing Writing. with journalism and Mm -hmm. like the consent that goes into writing about someone else's experience or someone else's life. So yeah, that was really interesting, particularly because both of us have written, but we've also also given a lot of like press interviews. interviews. And so Knowing how to like negotiate the press 
pressosphere. <laughs> yeah, press like sphere, the media sphere. The media sphere yeah. with um as a sex worker, when we have very sensitive stories, um, and how to like control our own narrative and what to give consent to and what not to give consent to was actually a really interesting conversation. Yeah. So I think uh let us allow us and some of our near and dear to educate you on consent and let's jump right in. Yes, what sex workers can teach you about consent. Mix Puxaplenty is the they them yes queen of burlesque and was most recently voted number 17 on the 21st century burlesque magazine top 50 influential burlesque figures of 2022. A sex educator and national co-coordinator of the old pro project, Pux is changing the world through their lived experience. Welcome. It's really nice to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. It yes, so- and it's nice to meet you. I don't think we've actually met. We have not. I'm Melrose. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Melrose. <laughs> Everybody calls me Pucks. Okay. So Pucks, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah. So I am Mixed Pucks of Plenty. I am known as the They Them Yes Queen of Burlesque, the Michelle Obama Burlesque, and the Femme Daddy that your mother did not know to warn you about. I love that. (laughs) I am one of the uh, national co-coordinators for the Old Pro Project uh, based out of New York. And I have been a burlesque performer and producer for four and a half years and heavily involved in the uh, Seattle um, kink and BDSM scene for almost a decade. That's nice. Yeah. And you also helped produce the um, music video for Old Pro Project. Yes, I did. The music video been around since the old days. I directed that music video, storyboarded it, and I also edited the music video. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's it is. so good. Thank you. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, yeah. So we wanted to have you on to talk about uh, consent, particularly mm-hmm. like given that you're in the BDSM scene and also like in sex work. So um, if like that's such a huge topic, so I'm trying yeah, to think that's... of like how do we want to get into this. But um, what do you what do you think that like um, where do you think that you learned the most about consent? Let's start there. Yeah, I think I learned the most about consent from not really having consent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As a person who is in a black, fat, femme, queer, disabled, non-binary body, um, my my lived existence is highly politicized against my mm-hmm. will, against my consent, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's the thing that I've been kind of pushing up against my whole life. It wasn't really until I got involved in the BDSM community that um, there was a name for it. Besides like, mm-hmm. do you consent mm-hmm. to treatment? Do you consent, you know, um, when you're filling out medical paperwork, I feel like that was the only time I've ever saw the word consent, yeah. you know? That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. What did it look like when you entered into the like BDSM scene? Like, <sighs> What did you learn from that or how was it like different or how did it shape the way that you interacted with your own body? I mean, the fact that I always felt like I had to say yes to sexual encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, or just jump into sexual encounters without kind of like any like guidelines or anything like that. So the idea of like mm-hmm. negotiating boundaries, what the fuck is that about? Like, that's yeah. that's a yeah. great idea. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, like... <laughs> Maybe I don't want my toe licked the whole time. Yeah. 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 Or maybe I do. So like this idea of like this negotiation piece as a part of consent, like to be able to yeah. talk about like, this is my boundaries. These are my outlines, things that I'm interested in. These are my hard limits. I didn't even, you know, 
yeah. folks join the kink scene and they're so hungry and thirsty to try things that they say, I have no boundaries. I have no limits. And I'm like, yeah. hold on, Master P, you got to have limits. Like, yeah. <laughs> chill out. Um, you know, and so that it becomes... I always think anytime anyone says that, that like the limits is in their like imagination because they have no idea like yeah. what what could be encompassed in everything. Yeah. I'm up for everything. Absolutely. So that was a piece, but I think the thing that really kind of drove this idea home is that I I have a, I have a kiddo. I have a, my son is going to be 12 this year. And Mm -hmm. that conversation around consent and BDSM really changed the way that I thought about parenting and teaching and teaching consent. Um, I remember as a child, um, I had family members that would just hug you, hug you or kiss you. And you didn't have, you couldn't opt out. You couldn't say no. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I remember being tickled once until I cried and threw up, you know, and so things like that. So when my son was growing up, you know, we, we started to consent very early where it was just like, Mm -hmm. can we hug you? Can we kiss you? Can we, you know, can we tickle you? I mean, I went Mm -hmm. a year without getting a kiss from my son. It was the hardest year yeah. of my life, but that was respecting <laughs> his boundaries, right? Yeah. And so we have to start young. There are folks that, like, still to this day, I do not like to be tickled. I don't find anything great about I it. I hate it. But it mm. all stems from this idea that I didn't have consent, you know, and being able to tell yeah. the grandparents, no, you can't just grab him and hug yeah. him if he says yeah. no. You can't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to make him do that that's did you find that hard with like the your his grandparents oh absolutely i mean i had to put the grandparents in time out a lot a lot yeah um and a lot of that i think as a society we are we give our parents we give this generation before us a lot of a lot of freedom and access to our children yeah Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times we didn't have maybe the best relationships with our own parents. And so it's weird to see kind of this do over shenanigans happening. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they should know best. And I'm like, nah, I know how I turned out. I don't know if I really <laughs> want you, <laughs> want you, you know, involved in, in this, in this piece, but there yeah. is this, there is a boundary that uh, I think folks really struggle with setting with their parents. Um, I know that when I was uh, in labor with my son, it was a spectator sport. Everyone was in there. Yeah. The whole mm-hmm. nine yards. And I stalled out, you know, trying to give birth to my son. I'm having to have an emergency cesarean. And I didn't realize that I had the ability to kick these yeah. people out. Agency, mm-hmm. I think, is a, a big part of consent, too. A lot of us, yeah. Yeah. especially those of us who are socialized as femme, the struggle surrounding agency and the ability to have a voice. Um, yeah. Because we're always told, be humble, make yourself small, do this, do that. You're too much. You're not enough. And so it makes yep. it really mm-hmm. difficult, difficult to set those boundaries and being able to have this agency to be like, nah, dog, that's not how it's going to happen. Um, yeah. And I think that sex workers and folks that are heavily involved in like the BDSM saying, I would even also say that being polyamorous really helped Mm. Um, with consent. I have five partners currently, which is a lot. Like that's a basket wow. that's a basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> that's a basketball team. 
And, you know, and so there is the... You got like a complicated Google Calendar situation going on? I really do. Like, it's it's very yeah. colorful. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. It's very colorful. And I live with two of my partners. Both of my partners that I live with are service-oriented people. So I live with a my service submissive of uh, five years and mm-hmm. uh, someone that I refer to as my service daddy. He's not really like, he's not super submissive, but he loves being of service and he has kind of like just big dad energy. So yeah, it works, but I'm in charge. I'm the boss and <laughs> I'm the boss all the time. And so there still is conversation surrounding consent and boundaries, even mm-hmm. though these two, these two men have um, consented to serving this household and serving me. They're yeah. still, um, they still have to buy into it though. Right. Like yeah. both of these guys yeah. are bigger than me. They're stronger mm-hmm. than me. Um, you know, and they keep, they keep the house running. I don't, I'm working, I'm busy. So like if their consent is violated in any way, if their boundaries are violated in any way Mm -hmm. that throws off the harmony of the whole. So that's a part of me checking in and making sure that I'm doing the things that I said I was going to do within our negotiated limits um, and with their boundaries. Right. Um, I wonder, because even when we started this episode, the, the, uh, what you had said about like not really having consent, not really knowing there was a word for that just in, within your own identity and all of the, its intersections. Do you think that part of that discovery, like, oh, there's a word for this. There's a thing that this thing exists is what drew you to some of these dynamics, like to be involved with BDSM because that has that consent factor or to be in something poly where there's a lot of consent taking place. Do you think that those things intertwined at all? You know, I tell people that I'm, I'm pretty sure I was wired for sound like upon birth. Like I've always been kind of a, I've, I'm the black sheep of my family for sure. I've just always done mm-hmm. things differently. I think a lot of this is tied to the fact that I'm neurodivergent too. And I feel like mm-hmm. neurodivergent folks we just see the world differently. So we're able to kind of be like, oh, no, that makes that makes way more sense than monogamy or that makes way yeah, more, right. you know, so we're able to kind of look at kind of look at some of these scopes a little bit different, especially because, you know, BDSM, there are some rules, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. there's some structure and I thrive with having some level of structure. If there's the bones of something like, Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that was part of why I was drawn to it. And then this idea of like consent and talking about what your needs are, um, what you like and what you don't like. That's just, I don't really remember having those conversations until I got into the, into the kink world surrounding like, what is it that you like, do you like it when I do this? I don't, yeah, so uh, another, uh, um, we've talked a couple times, so I can't remember when we had this conversation, but at one point I was talking to you and I remember you talking about um, your clientele that you take on and you saying that, you know, at this point in your career and at this point in your life, you only see, um, I think at the time you said you only see queer people or I can't remember exactly what you said, but like, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that and consent in terms of like, even in your work, like who you let in and who you choose to give your energy to. Yeah. I don't take, I don't take any, um, says het male clients. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like interesting in this business where that's like the majority of the clients. So I'm really interested in how you did that. You know, it's, um, 
it was a tr- mostly because the the level the level of like therapizing that I think it that mm. pops up because of the type of body that I'm in um mm. I have to charge a lot more yeah to hold space for mm-hmm. it because it is draining mm-hmm. um I can't listen to someone be like I've never been with a black person before yeah. mm-hmm. as part of their thing that's not going to work for me um right and so I've only I really right now only work with uh queer clients um and like like non-binary clients and women and work with a lot of women um, yeah. And so, I mean, it means I'm not take, seeing clients as much, but uh, mm-hmm. my work is very fulfilling in that way because a lot of times it is um, non-binary folks that were like assigned female at birth, um, trans women that mm-hmm. um, want to get want to want to get involved in BDSM and kink, mm-hmm. um, but have had really shitty experiences. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're like, this feels like a really safe space for me to do that. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's a very safe space to do that. And so right. like, you know, it's therapeutic without me having to hold space for a lot of like, I just don't do whiny men. <laughs> I just don't do it i can't it's too much and like i like you know right now um in my polycule um all the men in my life are submissive or stubby or service oriented and none of them are whiny they're all very mm-hmm. strong capable people you know yeah. um and they're just none of them are beggars that's so great <laughs> um you know so like I just, I don't think that's the type of clientele that I need to see because I would probably get really irritated very quickly. Right. And mm-hmm. and I recognize as like, that's a, a privilege that I have, you know, to do that. Um, but is it though? I don't know. I mean, again, as a black, fat, queer, non-binary person, um, right. there's already a disadvantage of just being sure. fat, you know, and being, <laughs> being a sex worker. Yeah. Um, so it's like, oh, now you're really limiting yourself. And I'm like, well, there is this market. There is this mm-hmm. clientele. These are folks that are seeking this type of service out. Yeah. I And I feel like the other work that I, the only time I'll ever even. And they're probably like, they're people who can like appreciate you without fetishizing you. Absolutely. The only yeah. time that I'll ever see a cis uh, het male client is if they're with um, a partner and they're mm-hmm. more on the submissive end and it's more of um can you show me how to dominate this person and like mm, yeah. yes okay. mm-hmm. and that's that's the <laughs> that's the work i really really like and also in 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 those conversations we come back around to consent um because a lot of folks have a lot of misconceptions about what a ds dynamic is and i'm like mm-hmm. There is a level, even when we look at like master slave dynamics where there, you know, there's no safe words, there's, you know, yeah, folks have consented to these dynamics, uh, you know, the ones that are working and functioning um, in a healthy manner, you know, those are the ones where boundaries have been negotiated and consent yeah. has been given. Um, there's a thing that I do and I learned it from the kink community and I've taken it everywhere and um, it's... I'm a hugger. And so I learned mm-hmm. this expression of when you go up to people, even people that you know, you ask, are you huggable? 
Oh, right? I like that. It's beautiful. And like the first time I did this outside of a kink context to someone that I knew, they like they stopped because they were going in for the hook. They stopped and you're like, and they're like, you know what? Actually, I'm good right now. I'm like, that's cool. Aww. And then later on, they're just like, you know what? Thank you so much for asking if I was huggable. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it gave me the opportunity to opt out of this social interaction that I just wasn't mentally, like, I did not want to have. And it wasn't because I don't want to yeah. hug you. It's just, I actually just don't want to be touched by anyone right now. And I'm like, that's right. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've taken this everywhere. And like, it's something that my son uses also, you know, he asks people mm-hmm. if they're huggable. And I learned it um, at like through like one of the first kink events that I went to, and I remember just being like, "I like this." And so, yeah, it's a it's a thing that has served me really well the past decade. And I invite other folks to ask that because I use it even with family, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it it takes people aback who are not used to being able to opt out of. Um, yeah. traditional social mm-hmm. interactions, right? Like, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to use that too. <laughs> it's probably like a good note to end on, unless there's something you think we didn't ask you about that is on your mind or important in regards to consent. No, I mean, I, I think that consent just like, you know, um, sexual education is ongoing. Like mm-hmm. the, the talk, right. We have these, the talk with, with kids and it feels like folks think that like we have the a talk and then it's over. Yeah. And it's like, no, we have the talk throughout the adolescence of a child. And even as adults, we're still having yeah. these talks. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like our access, our access to like sexual knowledge just keeps exploding, mm-hmm. you know, um, all the time. Every time I'm like, I don't think there's any more we could possibly learn boom, there's more. Yeah. And so I, I really caution uh, like adults, especially like if you think that you're done learning about your sexuality, um, no, yeah. you're not. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. levels, there are depths and there are layers just like a parfait. Mm-hmm. There are levels. <laughs> Sex parfait, delicious. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Plex. It was really great to talk to you. Where can people find you? Oh my gosh. Uh, definitely follow me on the Instagram at Puxaplenty um, or the Hedonist Realist. Um, and uh, I have a, I also have a podcast. It's on hiatus right now, but the um, older episodes are pretty great. Um, the podcast is called Sexuality and T is like sipping tea. Oh, I love that. Um, S-E- I listen to it. I like your podcast. It's so cute. I, thank it you. It is. It's good. I like it. Um, and it's, so it's Sexuality SEA. You can find us on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're, we're everywhere. Buzzsprout is kind of the place that houses all of our stuff. Um, but we're on a hiatus until um, early summer and we'll be back. Okay. But the, uh, our backlog is pretty awesome. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to yeah. subscribe. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so much. 
Today's episode is sponsored by ePlay, an adult live streaming platform creating an online ecosystem for creators to engage with their fans that's easy, exciting, and empowering. At ePlay, you earn 80% of revenue on everything from live streaming to private messages with your fans to your sub-club membership fan site. ePlay even allows you to earn money while you sleep with offline tips. Do what makes you excited, take control of your business, content, voice, and freedom. As a creator, consider joining ePlay today. Susie Q authored The Whore Next Door in a sex column for the San Francisco Weekly and performs mainly for kink, queer, and feminist indie adult entertainment companies. Susie's continued interest in policy and advocacy has led them to take staff positions at the Free Speech Coalition, the American Civil Liberties Union of Southern California, and a board of directors position on the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee. During the 2020 lockdowns, Susie began writing, directing, and co-producing adult content for some of the biggest companies in the industry. Welcome, Susie Q, to the show. We're super excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Um, Okay. (laughs) Well, I have been in the adult industry since like 2009. I got my start at the late, great Lusty Lady Theater. So many people started there. So many cool people started there. Yeah, that are still in the industry. Like, that's cool, too, is like a lot of people with a lot of longevity were there. Mm. Absolutely. No, it's... um, it was definitely like a space that could be for someone like just passing through mm-hmm. without like having it on their permanent record, so to speak. <laughs> um, but it was also a great like launch pad because yeah. it was worker owned. And so like I had my first board of directors position. at the Oh, lesson. that's so cool. Yeah. Because it was a co-op. I, I understood them. Anyway, it was a great sort of like cheerleading, basic training boot camp for a lot of different roles in the adult industry. Also started shooting with kink.com and like pink and white and Courtney Trouble and all the whole like vibe that was happening. Yeah, the the Bay Area thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I started leaning into um, adult film and porn. And I, it's, I, you know, I've done pretty much every type of sex work at this point. Yeah. So we, um, we wanted, uh, we're talking today about consent and about what sex, what you learn in sex work about consent and what like sex workers can take into the rest of their lives and also to the lives of other people, like in regards to consent. So let me first ask you this, since you've been in the industry for a long time, like, um, what do you think that you've learned from sex work about consent? Mm. Mm. Let's see. So I think that in the non-sex working world, um, a lot of, there's a lot of non-consensual things happening sort of at all times, you know, like existing, yeah. for example, non-consensual <laughs> work, the concept of like working to earn a living. You have to earn your right to live. Is yeah. yeah. It's, it's freaking wild out here. Um, and so we, in order to, sort of move through life, we really have to sort of ignore and like have blinders on around a lot of issues of consent. Mm -hmm. But in the adult industry, you're sort of in the trenches of consent. You're on the front lines. You are Mm -hmm. in active consent on a moment to moment basis. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very active. It's like a, you know, consent as a contact sport. Um, (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. So I really feel like, you know, um, I never thought of myself as an, like early on in my adult 
industry career and like very, very early on in my activist career, um, one of my good friends, uh, Davina Darling, and then of course, uh, Kitty Stryker were, were talking about consent in this way, like far before me too, um, mm-hmm. consent culture and a bunch of other um, projects to just sort of highlight, mostly within like the queer and BDSM communities, mm-hmm. you know, issues, uh, systemic issues of right, right. Um, non-consensual behavior and like yeah. enabling of predators and things of that nature. So I was like, yeah, wow, I don't, that's like, that's wild, you guys. Great, great job. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but after, you know, 10 plus years in the adult industry, like I said, like using consent sort of as a contact sport, um, I I do feel like I have an extra, I feel like all um, adult performers in some capacity have an expertise around consent that, that straight people, people who aren't engaging sex for money just like don't have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel like, um, like... in, for a living engaging in consent as like a contact sport, like you say, which I, I love. I love um, do you think that that like helped you in your life, like outside of sex work or your personal relationships or like the way that you carry on in your life? I think it, in some ways, yes, it definitely helped. And in other ways, no, it's like, it's like, you know, taking, if I'm going to, we need to reclaim the red pill from the freaking men's rights people because like mm-hmm. it was, it was, you know, like matrix vibes, but yeah, it's like taking the red pill. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Once yeah. really, truly understand, um, the, the nuts and bolts and like the basics of consent and you try to interact with the rest of the world. Like it makes you yeah. a little bit like a mutant sometimes. And you're just like, are we literally not experiencing the same reality? And, yeah. and the, I've just come to realize sometimes is no, we're like, we're not, we're not. There are a lot of people just operating at all times in a space where they just ignore consent. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that uh, we were talking to you about before we started rolling Mm -hmm. is that you're also a writer and I was wondering like how consent like factors into your work as a writer. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, I think, you know, I wrote for many years for the San Francisco weekly, um, in like sort of a, a sex column, but I sort mm-hmm. of like used it as a soapbox for a lot of different things. Yeah. But, you know, I inter- I've interacted with a lot of journalists as like a subject. Yeah. Right. You, both write, you know <laughs> that there's these like ways yeah. of, I, I really have to give credit to a, a course that I took at a Desiree Alliance convention in like 2013 or something. Okay. Um, by Audacia Ray. Um, And she, like, in that course, there was, like, a section of just, like, here sort of the general, like, pitches and waves and, like, storylines that they want to do with us. The rescue, the sort of, like, human interest nerd story. And I've done all of those. And I think both of you have done all of those. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I have gone head to head with so many journalists, so many editors, being my own editors at the weekly around all kinds of stuff. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, from like, Oh my gosh. I remember way back in the day having to fight to use people's uh, non-binary pronouns. That was yeah. really, yeah. for some fucking reason, a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to struggle with journalists around, um, you know, um, you know, real names, you know, that's what I was going to say. Stage names too. Like I was like, 
um, forced to use my legal name on a article I wrote for the Washington Post because they were like, we won't use it. And I was like, I don't even have a career under my legal yeah. name. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Like, none yeah. of it. I have one publication under my legal name in the Washington Post. Like, that makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. So but weird. yeah, I mean, they pushed so hard. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me that, like, if somebody was, you know, yeah, it's just like real name policies in mm-hmm. publications is really weird. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a great example of sort of like someone moving in the journalism space that did not go to journalism school, has like yeah. no training. And so, you know, nobody set me down and was like, hey, so here's yeah. sort of the ethical guidelines you should operate with it. No one did that. So how yeah. many are out there who... Right don't have people's consent that they're interviewing, who don't know what on the record is or off the record is, right? Yeah. That's something that I was taught at this wonderful convention. Thank you, Audacia Ray, for providing all <laughs> these services. But if someone mm-hmm. hadn't told me that, how many times would I have talked to a journalist and told them so much? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things when I started doing a lot of press interviews that somebody told me that I really appreciated was like, don't just talk, go in with your talking points. And if they're trying to steer you off it, go like straight back to what you're trying to say, because they, you can get caught up saying like really weird stuff that's taken out of context. That is not how you would want yourself like, um, yeah, represented. Yeah. So many, um, sex workers get a chance to have a platform that's like larger than their own via a publication. Yeah. And then like, how many people, how many of us have written things and gone back and forth with a major publication? I've, I've gone back and forth with the New York Times for like months only to then like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, damn, I really needed that $200. <laughs> it's awful. You know, like yeah. I'm so glad that we're having this, this reckoning um, around work mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Um, because, you know, journalism is just one space where, uh, you know, so much exploitation happens. Like I've, yeah. I've been treated the most poorly in like the nonprofit space. I've heard and that about nonprofit space. too. And then like right above that is like strip clubs in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Anything in Texas is pretty much going to guarantee a bet. <laughs> oh, I stayed long enough to pay for this tattoo and I, and that I got out. But like, <laughs> and then. And it gets very, you know, strip clubs in Texas is like very low. You know, there's a lot of other like, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, then like retail, you know, yeah. <laughs> service jobs. Yeah. I'm curious because with writing and given you were doing column, but what are you, your thoughts on like the people, the subjects that are being written about and not mm-hmm. just when you are one, but like, what, what do you think is kind of like the line that someone who's doing the writing should be walking in terms of consent when they're talking about someone else's like experiences and life experiences because there's mm-hmm. been times too when like I want to speak on it and even on the podcast like an experience or a story from you know my history but it involves someone else and like I don't know that they want that story out there so like that's constantly that's a consent dance too yeah no it I'm thinking about as I'm writing my book I'm like I can't write my book without having other people involved in, in your it. story yeah because I don't live in a little vacuum yeah Yeah, I think that, like, it's always best to err on the side of, like, um, informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you 
give someone all of the information. Like when I think about, so I'm, I'm also non-monogamous polyamorous. And when I think about like the fights I've had with like my partners, like the thing that I like get mad about is like, just give me all of the information and it'll be yeah. fine. You know, I'll probably say yes to all of it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, and it comes down to like, I, I've honestly, like, I know it's not journalist, journalistically ethical, but, like, I think it's completely reasonable to say, like, hey, here's the quote that I used from yeah. our interview. Is that cool with you? Like, yeah, and they, it's really frowned upon to, like, share an entire draft um, or even to share a quote, honestly, like. I, yeah, what I understand. I've been told that like, well, it's not really supposed to do that. That's like against. Well, I've had people code. do that. But Same. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And that's a, that's like leads to a better because I, I have one journalist that constantly comes to me for quotes on things. And I think with her, like we have a great relationship because they've taken the time to like ask me how I feel about using this quote. I'm like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Love it. Do it. Put it out there. Yeah. Um, but that that lends her to be able to come back to me for stuff, because if that was a bad experience, I'm not picking up the phone. <laughs> like, yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. And like you have to just like understand that, you know, like nobody works for free, you know, and you are taking someone's life force and energy in order to like create content, especially in this creator economy Mm -hmm. that you then profit off of. And like, you know, when, when journalists say like, no, we, we can't pay anyone. There's no, there's no, it's bullshit. You know, like I've, I've negotiated deals for, you know, fucking, you know, Stormy Daniels and people who like get fees for interviews. Like it happens all the goddamn time. So like, yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's other things that we didn't ask you about that you think is like pertinent to a consent? Um, We could talk a little bit about like, you know, I, I direct and produce adult content Mm -hmm. and each, each day there's like an active thorough consent conversation, you know, and like surprisingly and unfortunately, um, for a lot of models, that's the first time that's happened. So like, yeah. it really feels, you know, so much, you know, so I had this whole chapter of my life that, you know, after like writing and, you know, leaning into to porn and stuff, but I, I um, ended up moving down to Southern California and getting a really sidetracked by politics and policy mm-hmm, and free mm-hmm. speech coalition and ACLU. Um, and, and now being back sort of like in the trenches and like producing porn, yeah. you know, every other day or so, uh, it really feels like major praxis, you know, just like really yeah. making sure <laughs> that like each sex worker that comes into my path, like has their rights protected and like the resources they need to like thrive in that day in that moment. Yeah, like, you know, it's great. interesting yeah. too because you mentioned the creator economy earlier, and I think that with all these new kind of wave of digital sex workers coming into the space, that's a conversation around like a consent checklist. Like that's definitely not on most people's radar even because that's just yeah. like oh let's just do a content trade. Like okay, but of what? Yeah, like, what are yeah. we agreeing to? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's this. It's just this new kind of era. Um, that's almost being overlooked and not addressed too. So I think like that's worth kind of saying like, hey, like all you new OnlyFans creators or all you new creators, like there's this other conversation needing to be had, not just what we sell this for. Like, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, um, you know, I I came down to Southern California to work with the Free Speech Coalition. And one of the last projects that I worked on before I left was um, launching the Inspire program. That is Mm -hmm. where a couple checklists, consent checklists are housed. And now I'm working in collaboration with uh, PassCertified.org, which is is really the nonprofit focused directly on health and safety. You know, Mm -hmm. our, our conversations and like what we are building is absolutely in service to like 
the massive sort of bloom that has happened. Yeah. Like, no longer are we talking about trying to serve folks who, you know, w- live and work in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. The the folks that I'm shooting these days mm-hmm. who have just started, you know, in the past like yeah. years since pandemic, they're from Tennessee, they're from Kentucky, yeah. they're from like <laughs> the middle of the country. And so we have to think big and we have to think at scale, yeah. like really think about our community in this much more vast way than yeah. all of us started. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's great. It was really great to talk to you. Um, Where can people find your work? Yes. Um, You can go to youramericansweetheart.com. My name is hard to spell. And, you know, I was a stripper at the time and it was all about having a unique name. It made me money. So I stuck with it, but it's not the best for SEO. So your American sweetheart is sort of my tag. Um, you can find me on Instagram at your American sweetheart. It's just sort of a placeholder though for the Susie Q media things, but, uh, your American sweetheart.com is my link tree and we'll get you to everything. TikTok, YouTube, um, mailing list, all that stuff. Nice. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. This episode of On the Horizon is sponsored by DMCA Force. DMCA Force is the authorized DMC agent for the largest online creators and the platforms that they monetize. DMCA Force protects models, musicians, writers, videographers, artists, and tons of other creatives publishing their works online. With DMCA Force, you get 24-7 automated monitoring, flagging, and removal of stolen and pirated content. They use metadata and keywords relating to your work in collaboration with search engines to remove even the 10 to 15% of content on ghost sites that can't typically be scrubbed from the internet. They even offer the ability to fingerprint content and digitally watermark it as an added layer of security to protect the art you work so hard creating. Join DMCA Force today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Jesse Sage, and you can find me on Twitter at sapiotextual and at jessiesage.com. And I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. Just a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating and review because it really helps us to grow as a podcast and better share information from our guests to the sex work community as a whole. Last but not least, if you want to support the podcast, please go to anchor.fm forward slash horizon spelled W-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N to become a premium subscriber of On the Horizon, which unlocks two bonus episodes on the 8th and 22nd of each month with tons of extra exclusive footage from ourselves and our guests. (music) 